Chapter One of the Confessions of a Poacher, edited by John Watson, Fellow of the Linnean Society. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Embryo Poacher. I do not remember the time when I was not a poacher, and if I may say so, I believe our family has always had a genius for woodcraft. I was bred on the outskirts of a sleepy town in a good game country, and my depredations were mostly when the game laws were less rigorously enforced than now. Our home was roughly adorned in fur and feather, and a number of gaunt lurchers always constituted part of the family. An almost passionate love of nature, summers of birds nesting, and a life spent almost wholly out of doors, constituted an admirable training for an embryo poacher. If it is true that poets are born, not made, it is equally so of poachers. The successful moucher must be an inborn naturalist, must have much in common with the creatures of the fields and woods around him. There is a miniature bird and animal fauna which constitutes as important game to the young poacher as any he is likely to come across in after life. There are mice, shrews, voles, for all of which he sets some primitive snare and captures. The silky-coated moles in their runs offer more serious work and being most successfully practised at night, offers an additional charm. Then there are the red-furred squirrels, which hide among the delicate leaves of the beeches, and run up their grey bowls, fairy things that offer an endless subject of delight to any young savage, and their capturing draws largely upon his inventive genius. A happy hunting ground is furnished by farmers who require a lad to keep the birds from their young wheat or corn, as when their services are required, the country is all like a garden. At this time, the birds seem creatures born of the sun, and not only are they seen in their brightest plumage, but when indulging in all their love frolics. By being employed by the farmers, the erstwhile poacher is brought right into the heart of the land, and the knowledge of woodcraft and rural life he there acquires is never forgotten. As likely as not, a ditch runs by the side of the wheat fields, and here the water hen leads out her brood. To the same spot the birds come at noon to indulge their midday siesta, and in the deep hole at the end of the cut a shoal of silvery roach fall and rise towards the warm sunlight. Or a brook, which is a tiny trout stream, babbles on through the meadows and pastures, and has its attractions too. A stream is always the chief artery of the land, as in it are found the life-giving elements. All the birds, all the plants, flock to its banks, 
and its wooded sides are hushed by the subdued hum of insects. There are tall green brackens, brackens unfurling their fronds to the light, and full of the atoms of beautiful summer. At the bend of the stream is a lime, and you may almost see its glutinous leaves unfolding to the light. Its winged flowers are infested with bees. It has a dead bough almost at the bottom of its bowl, and upon it there sits a grey-brown bird. Ever and anon it darts for a moment, hovers over the stream, and then returns to its perch. A hundred times it flutters, secures its insect prey, and takes up its old position on the stump. Bronze fly, bluebottle, and droning bee are secured alike, for all serve as food to the lovable pied flycatcher. It is the time of the bloom of the first June rose, and here, by the margin of the wood, all the ground, by fast-falling blossom, is littered. Every blade teems with life, and the air is instinct with the very breath of being. Bird sounds are coming from over and under, from bow and brake, and a harmonious discord is flooded from the neighbouring copse. The oak above my head is a murmurous haunt of summer wings, and wood pigeons coo from the beeches. The air is still, the summer is on my cheek, arum, wood sorrel, and celandine mingle at my feet. The starlings are half buried in the fresh green grass, their metallic plumage flashing in the sun. Cattle are lazily lying dotted over the meadows, and the stream is done in a setting of green and gold. Swallows, skimming the pools, dip in the cool water and are gone, leaving a sweet commotion in ever-widening circles long after they have flown. A mouse-like creeper alights at the foot of a thorn and runs nimbly up the bark. Midway it enters a hole in which is its nest. A garrulous blue-winged jay chatters from the tall oak, and purple rooks are picking among the corn. Butterflies dally through the warm air, and insects swarm among the leaves and flowers of the hedge-bottoms. A crake calls, now here, now far out yonder. Bluebells carpet the wood margin, and the bog is bright with marsh plants. This, then, is the workshop of the young poacher, and here he receives his first impressions. Is it strange that a mighty yearning springs up within him to know more of nature's secrets? He finds himself in a fairy place, and all unconsciously drinks in its sweets. See him now deeply buried in a golden flood of marsh marigolds. See how he stands spellbound before saxifrages which cling to a dripping rock. Water avens, wild parsley, and campions crowd around him, 
and flags of the yellow and purple iris tower over all. He watches the doings of the reed sparrows deep down in the flags, and sees a water oozel as it rummages among the pebbles at the bottom of the brook. The larvae of caddis flies, which cover the edge of the stream, are a curious mystery to him, and he sees the kingfisher dart away as a bit of green light. Small silvery trout, which rise in the pool, tempt him to try for them with a crooked pin, and even now with success. He hears the cuckoos crying and calling as they fly from tree to tree, and quite unexpectedly finds the nest of a yellow hammer between a willow and the bank, containing its curiously speckled eggs. Still the life and the hush and the breath go on. Everything breathes and moves and has its being. The things of the day are the essence thereof. On the margin of the wood are a few young pines, their delicate plumes just touched with the loveliest green. An odour of resinous gum is wafted from them, and upon one of the slender sprays, a pair of diminutive goldcrests have hung their procreant cradle. These things are enough to win any young bohemian to their ways, and although as yet they only comprise the country, soon their wondrous detail lures their lover on, and he seeks to satisfy the thirst within him by night as well as by day. Endless acquaintances are to be made in the fields, and those of the most pleasurable description. Nests containing young squirrels can be found in the larch treetops, and any domestic tabby will suckle these delightful playthings. Young cushats and cushats' eggs can be obtained from their wicker-like nests and sold in the villages. A prickly pet may be captured in a hedgehog trotting off through the long grass, and colonies of young wild rabbits may be dug from the mounds and braes. The skin of every velvety mole is one patch nearer the accomplishment of a warm furry vest for winter, and this, if the pests of which it is comprised are the owner's taking, is worn with pardonable pride. A moleskin vest constitutes a graduation in woodcraft, so to speak. Sometimes a brace of leverets are found in a tussocky grass clump, but these are more often allowed to remain than taken, and there are almost innumerable captures to be made among the feathered as well as furred things of the fields and woods. Chaffinches are taken in nooses among the corn, as are larks and buntings. Crisp cresses from the springs constitute an important source of income, and the embrowned nuts of autumn a harvest in themselves. It is during his early days of working upon the land that the erstwhile poacher learns of the rain-bringing tides of the time of migration of birds, of the evening gambling of hares, 
of the coming together of the partridge to roost, of the spawning of salmon and trout, and a hundred other scraps of knowledge which will serve him in good stead in his subsequent protest against the game laws. Almost every young rustic who develops into a poacher has some such outdoor education as that sketched above. He has about him much ready animal ingenuity and is capable of almost infinite resource. His snares and lines are constructed with his pocket knife out of material he finds ready to hand in the woods. He early learns to imitate the call of the game birds so accurately as to deceive even the birds themselves and his weather-stained clothes seem to take on themselves the duns and browns and olives of the woods. A child brought up in the lap of nature is invariably deeply marked with her impress, and we shall see to what end she has taught him. End of chapter 1